Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Unleavened Bread Ministries presents Hidden Manna for the End Time with your host, David Eels. Hello, friends. This is David Eels. God bless you, and thank you for joining us. Uh, we have some very important revelations to share with you that were shared with me over the last thirty-something um, years. Uh, sometimes, in word of knowledge or word of wisdom, they are very—I'll say—untraditional. But you should expect that in these days, um, the traditions of men have been making of no effect the word of God. And uh, these revelations will help you to cooperate with God in the time to come in manifesting His Son in you and in understanding the things that are going on around you and the great purpose that God has for these end times. May God give you eyes to see and ears to hear so that these will be a great blessing unto you. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You may hear some things here that um, are not fitting with your traditions. God bless you. Part 14, Wilderness Living Now. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we do invite you, Lord, to take over this ministry today. Lord, um, I know and you know that you picked a weak vessel here, Lord, but we know that um, you made man's mouth, just as you told Moses. And I, I invite you, Lord, to speak through me today. And I invite you, Lord, to listen through my brethren today, Lord, that um, I can impart to them some of the things that you have shown me and given to me, Lord. Uh, I just give thanks unto you, Lord, for doing it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I told you I was going to share with you on some of my experiences in the wilderness. Some of you that are here before, we, we saw that that the church is going into the wilderness, exactly like um, Israel did when it came out of Egypt. And as you know, that was pretty much, they were driven there by Pharaoh's army, you know, um, except for the first fruits. The first fruits were a different situation, and they represent a different situation. There's a, there's a great advantage to doing what Moses and what Jesus did and that is uh, going out into that wilderness individually. You know, we can do that anytime. We have the Word of God. Actually, the Word of God is designed to put us in the wilderness if we learn to live by it. And um, many years ago, the Lord spoke to me, 
And he said, I'm sending you through a wilderness. I really didn't understand what that meant, but he said, I'm sending you through a wilderness so you can tell my people that I still supply there. A lot of people are preparing in the flesh for a wilderness to come and, and all of their efforts are going to be for naught because that's not what God's planning. Um, the righteous shall live from faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of them that shrink back unto perdition, but of them that have faith unto the saving of the soul. God's got a plan. Israel, of course, carried as much as they could carry out into that wilderness because they knew what it was like out there. But they didn't know what God was going to be like out there. And... Um, they carried it on their back and they carried it on their wagons and they carried it however they could carry it. But don't you know they started running out of it in about three days out there. And then they had to depend upon God. Very much the church is doing the same thing. They're getting prepared. They're getting prepared in the flesh for a lesson that God's going to teach. And um, the preparations that are in the flesh will all be for naught because God is bringing us out there actually to put us in a position of weakness so we can see His power. Weakness is a place where you can't save yourself. And God's power is made perfect in weakness. The weaker we are, the more powerful God will be. God's promises to, to supply our every need according to His riches and glory are true no matter if you're prepared or if you're not. If you're not prepared, they're still true. He still will supply your every need. But the miracle's greater because you can't give any glory to the flesh. When God supplies your need supernaturally, it's, He's the only one that gets credit for it. And, of course, you, you gain a respect for Him as, as a real Savior. You know? Jesus is a Savior in all things. You know, um, salvation... Salvation really covers everything that has to do with us, everything around us. You know, um, the word soteria um, covers deliverance, it covers healing, it covers provision, it covers circumstances. It was used in all those ways in the Scriptures. It wasn't always translated the same way in the Scriptures, you see, but it was used in all those ways. Um, I asked a, a Greek man one time, what, what did soteria, the word for salvation, what did it mean to him today? And he said, well, it, it, it means all my needs supplied, like a little baby. Can you imagine a baby really doesn't strive very much for what it receives? And, and yet the, really, the Lord really respects uh, children. He, he wants us to become as a child, to enter into the kingdom. You know, in the kingdom, things work different than they do in Egypt. But most Christians have not found that out yet because they never give God a chance, you know because they never want to get in a position of weakness in the first place. We're, we're uncomfortable in positions of weakness. Our flesh likes to feel like it's in control, you know, and that we can always get ourselves out of any situation that we get into. And, and literally from this high on up, we're trained to do that. But that's not what God wants. He wants us to go back to being children, totally dependent upon our Father, you know, who will supply our every need according to His riches and glory. And that's what the wilderness is all about. God's going to have a people that live by faith. And how many of you know that it's really not necessary for us to live by faith? But in a way, we have to live like Egyptians to do that. We have these awesome promises in the Word. 
And yet we never get to try them out because there's too many other avenues that we can run to to save us, you know. And um, that's kind of what my wilderness has been. The Lord has closed all the a lot of other avenues and made only one really way of escape. And it was His way. And it was through the wilderness. And uh, um, the Lord taught me that the Word of God, if we will just be obedient to the Word of God, we will automatically, as soon as we get saved, walk into that wilderness. But we tend to ignore promises or, or um, commands of God. That Sometimes we don't see other people doing it, so we decide, well, maybe we don't really need to do that, you know. But Moses was a pretty lonely person, you know, in that wilderness. And um, he, um, if we want to be the first fruits, we're going to be take, keeping company with a much smaller group of people, you know. And um, it will be a trial. The wilderness is a trial. Actually, the wilderness is designed to crucify your old man. And how many of you know he goes to the cross kicking, screaming, and scratching? He doesn't want to go there, right? And, um, but, but that's what the wilderness is designed to do, is bring us to our cross so that we don't live anymore and Christ lives in us. That's God's plan. Have you ever noticed in the Scriptures that the, the promises concerning God's provision are all past tense? And, that Jesus, and, and even if it wasn't a promise concerning a provision, Jesus taught us to pray. When you pray, believe you have received and you shall have it. That's contrary to our... contrary to the flesh you know, to believe that you receive something when you don't see it, you know. God wants to teach us not to walk by sight, but to walk by faith. Um, the flesh is very uncomfortable there. But when you pray and believe you have received, do you know what happens to you when you believe you have received? You just cease from your works. Your efforts to provide, to secure, to gain this, this benefit, whatever it is, from God. You just cease. And you enter into what the Bible calls the rest. You know, God wants us to rest. Rest is the clear sign of faith. When a person's in rest, all their needs are supplied because they are in faith. They are walking in faith and their needs are supplied. And the Lord taught me that that's what all the promises are for. The promises are to bring us into rest. When you believe them, you rest. Uh, for instance, look in Hebrews. You know, everything that happened to the Jews and every um, ordinance that they had was for a purpose. It was a, a type and a shadow, the Bible says. Everything that happened to them was for types and shadows for us, okay? In Hebrews chapter 3, excuse me, Hebrews 4 and verse 9. I don't know if you believe this, but you can give some thought to it, okay? Um if you go back and keep, the Bible says that the, that the Sabbath was a shadow of the good things to come. Now, a shadow is not the truth. In fact, a shadow is darkness. Matter of fact, a shadow is a hole in the light. If you ever stand in the light and you see your shadow, the light goes all around it, but that's darkness. See, if you drag the shadow into the New Testament, you don't have the truth. You've got the parable, but you don't have what it points to. You understand? So, when we take those principles out of the Old Testament and try to drag them into the New, uh, they have to be translated. And um, there's a translation to the Sabbath. You say, David, is it Saturday or Sunday? <laughs> well, I don't believe it's either one. I'm going to tell you the truth. And I don't believe you can prove it's either one, frankly. But I do know that we have, we're only in one place 
that we've been given a Sabbath. And it's this verse right here. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse, excuse me, 9. There remaineth therefore a Sabbath rest for the people of God. There remaineth therefore a Sabbath rest. Now this, this word, Sabbath rest, is the only word like it in the whole Bible. Sabbatismos. And it means a keeping of rest. In other words, you don't stop for six days and rest for the seventh day. You continually stay in the rest. God's got a plan for His people. You know, just like they, they sacrificed bulls and goats, but, but Jesus was the final sacrifice. You know? When you come into the New Testament, there's something always greater. Now, God doesn't want us just to, to cease from our works on one day a week. He wants us to cease from our works every day of the week. He wants the works to be God's works and not our own. He goes on to say, For he that hath entered into his rest hath himself also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore give diligence to enter into that rest that no man fall after the same example of disobedience. So the rest is the place where we cease from our own works to save ourselves. And most people apply that just to your soul. But your circumstances are part of salvation too. The verb for, for uh, soteria is, of course, sozo. And it's used in the Bible so many different ways. It's just translated different ways. That's a little bit deceptive. And uh, it shouldn't be that way, but it is. It, for instance, when Jesus healed the sick and it says they were made whole, that's the word sozo. When the disciples were in the boat, this was a circumstance. It has nothing to do with the body, but they needed salvation from the circumstances around. They cried out to the Lord, Save, Lord! That's the word sozo. In deliverance, there was also the word sozo being used. You know, uh, It covers your spirit, soul, body, and circumstances. Salvation covers all those things. And the thing is, these past tense promises have, are telling us very plainly that the Lord has already done this. You can rest. He's already taken care of this. You can be at peace. How do we enter into that rest? Well, go back to chapter 4 and verse 3, excuse me, verse 3. For we who have believed do enter in to that rest, even as He hath said. You know, when you believe, you enter into the rest. It's not a day. It's a faith in the Word of God. It's a faith in the sacrifice of Jesus. It's a faith in what the Lord's already done for us. You know what the wilderness was? It was a place of forced rest. They could not do anything to save themselves. Three plus million people out in the wilderness where I remember, I, I, in fact, I wrote it in my, the book that I'm writing right now, how many boxcars it would take out of Egypt to supply this many people out in the wilderness and how many tankers it would take to keep them alive. It was, it's awesome how God could do that out there. Yeah. But our God is a God who can give, who can pay your taxes out of a fish's mouth and, and bring water out of a rock. You know, if He can do that, He can save you anywhere you are. And His promises are just as true in Egypt as they are out in the wilderness. The thing about in the wilderness, His power is made perfect in your weakness. And you really can't save yourself out there. The thing that would please God very much is if we would all walk out there of our own free will without Pharaoh's army behind us. See? 
The truth is, what's coming to put the church in the wilderness is Pharaoh's army is going to be behind them, you see. And uh, so people are going to be forced into this situation. The first fruits are not so. The first fruits are being led, like Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And he overcame the devil, and the anointing of God came upon him to bring the gospel to the rest of the people, you see. And um, he was led of the Spirit into the wilderness. That's what we need to do. We need to take every opportunity to walk out there and believe every promise in the Word of God. For instance, if you go back to verse 19, chapter 3 and verse 19, it says, And we see that they were not able to enter in, what, to the rest, because of unbelief. Uh, that's the word uh, apithia, if I remember correctly, and it means two things, which is very odd. It means unbelief and disobedience. How they could both come from the same word. Well, the point is, if you don't believe, you will be disobedient. Disobedience comes from unbelief. And power comes from faith. The next verse, Let us fear, therefore, lest happily a promise being left of entering into His rest, any one of you should seem to have come short of it. Are you getting the, pro the point here? The point is that all of the promises are designed to bring us into the rest. The more of them you believe, the more you will cease from your own works and let God do the work. See, God is the only one that can work on the Sabbath. <laughs> we are in the Sabbath. Not only were we in the Sabbath when we entered into Christ, because He is the rest and He is the Lord of the Sabbath, which means if you follow Him and obey Him, you are keeping the Sabbath. Okay? Um, but also... All of these promises are designed to cause us to come into the rest. He said, don't even leave one of them out. Hebrews 4 and 1. Let us fear, therefore, lest happily, a promise being left of entering into His rest. You see, each one of these promises are designed to bring us into the rest of Jesus Christ. Jesus was who He was because He lived in the rest. He learned, the Bible says He grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with man. We don't think about Jesus this way, but He was a perfect example to us too. See, He grew in wisdom and in stature. We think about Him being born automatically manifesting full-blown sonship, you know, but it really didn't work that way, you know. It really doesn't work that way for us. Um, we, we grow into our sonship, and we grow in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with man. The promises, let me point out just a few of these promises to you. For instance, in uh, 1 Peter 2 and 24, it says, Who in his own self bear our sins in his body upon the tree. Notice this bear, it's past tense. Now, if he took away your sins, what can you do to get delivered from sin? You can do nothing. If you believe that verse, you have to cease from your works. If you believe the verse that he already took away your sins, then you must agree with the Apostle Paul and reckon yourself to be dead unto sin, but alive unto God. The Word of God says he already took away your sins. Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. He did. He took them away. And he said twice in Romans chapter 6, he made you free from sin. Now, this is part of the good news, the gospel. We don't have to struggle to get rid of sin. If you're anxious to get rid of sin, it's because you're not believing the gospel. You're not believing the good news. 
The good news is he's already taken care of that problem. He wants us to believe him. Uh, We talked earlier about beholding in the mirror the glory of the Lord and being transformed into that same image. But if we see our natural face in the mirror, James chapter 1, verse 23 says, we're going to be a hearer of the word, not a doer of the word. We're accepting what Jesus did at the cross. I was crucified with Christ. I don't live anymore. That's what the Bible says. That's what we should confess. We were for, by one offering, we were perfected forever, the Bible says. And that's what we've got to accept. It's a rest. Actually, the rest is, is the way, it's the means to the end. When a person enters into rest, that's what real faith is, then God brings it to pass. Because faith is the substance of the thing hoped for while there's no evidence seen. It is the substance. It's what God makes what you need out of. Faith, okay? And it goes on to say, Having died unto sins, we might live unto righteousness, and by whose stripes you were healed. You know, um, if you were healed, what can you do to get healed and still claim that you believe that verse? Think about it. Now let's see if I believe that I was healed at the cross, really believed it, then I would just cease, wouldn't I? I would just cease from my works. I would cease from struggling. I could just rest in God who would bring it to pass. Did you ever see anybody that Jesus turned down that came to him for healing? No, you don't see that. Do you think those people were all perfect? They were stiff-necked people. The Bible's very plain, you know. But they had a covenant with God, and he honored it. Uh, What he wants of us is to enter into that rest. I've had some experiences with the Lord, and, and I'll share some of them with you, but I don't want you to think I'm bragging, because I'm not. I don't take any credit for it. I know that the Lord gave me a gift of grace to go into the places that I've gone just so I could share it with you. If I take credit for it, He'll take it away from me. It's that simple. And uh, please don't you give me any credit either, because He might still take it away from me. Because He humbles the exalted those that exalt themselves, He humbles them. And um, let me point out to you, the more that we put in to this salvation or provision or whatever you want to call it, the less God will put in. We only need our needs met. If we decide we'll need them ourselves, God will back up. If we decide we're going to let Him do it, He'll step forward and we back up. See, God's plan is for us to manifest to the world His his miracles. And yet, those miracles don't come unless you're in a position to need a miracle. Great victories come from great battles. And um, great battles are many times battles against our own flesh, which, which, which really wants to take control. The old man died back there in the Red Sea. That was the Egyptian. He was drowned. We were baptized there. And we have no business bringing him into the wilderness with us but he's always screaming to go back to Egypt. Why? Because the flesh pots are back there. You know, The provision that's provided by Egypt is back there. But you don't get to see any manna coming out of heaven back there, you see. And where we're going, we're going to see manna out of heaven. And we're going there one way or the other. The thing is, if you don't cooperate with God out there, you can actually die out there. If you don't cooperate with God out there... Um, you can miss His provision. So if we understand what God's after, and He's, he's after the righteous who live by faith, 
Without faith, it's impossible to be well-pleasing unto God. The Bible says it's impossible. The thing that impresses God is faith. Remember how many times Jesus said that? You know, He was impressed with the great faith, and usually it was somebody that wasn't even in Israel. Can you imagine? Oh, that's, that's sad. And it was like that in the Old Testament, too, in, in many cases. And he, he gave examples of that. Well, we see that these provisions, he said, he bear our sins. You were healed. And Jesus said, when you pray, believe you have received. And uh, Colossians chapter 1 is, he delivered us out of the power of darkness. Past tense. All these past tense promises. They're past tense for a purpose. The purpose is, since it's already done, we can do nothing to bring it to pass. And if we believe it, we have to cease. You have to cease. If you really believe it, you have to cease from your own works. Okay. For instance, um, when I started going down this road, I was very, very young in the Lord. But I had been diligently reading the Bible. And God gave me some rules. that Actually, I saw most of them in the Bible. And He gave me some rules about going into the wilderness, how he wanted me to go, and what kind of provision I could take for myself. When Jesus sent out his disciples, remember how he sent them out? He sent them out without any provision of their own. Why did he do that? Because he wanted them to be people of faith. If they weren't people of faith, they were not qualified to lead his people. Moses could lead God's people through the wilderness of this world because he'd already been there. He was qualified. Okay, And... Um, in order to do and to teach what God wants, we have to stand on these promises and enter into the rest. And don't even leave one out. That's what he said in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1. Don't even leave one out. All of these promises cover all of our problems, every last one of them. And actually, all of our problems were solved at the cross. Okay. Um, another example, Second Peter uh, chapter 1 and verse 3, it says, seeing that His divine power hath granted, past tense, unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him that called us by His own glory and virtue, whereby He's granted unto us His precious and exceeding great promises, that through these you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world by lust. Isn't that neat? God has, through the promises of God, He has granted unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. He's already done it. Why do we struggle so? Why do we worry so? And, you know, Jesus pointed out in uh, Matthew chapter 7 about the, the birds and the flowers, right? How that they don't struggle and they don't store up in barns. They don't struggle to clothe themselves, and, let, and yet your Heavenly Father clothes them, He feeds them, He takes care of them. They don't work, and they don't store up in barns. They don't work. And yet, is, is, is God saying He doesn't want us to work? No, but He doesn't want us to work for His provision and His salvations and so on and so forth. You know? uh, actually, what's coming is we will probably come to the place where we won't have gainful employment. Do you know that that's not going to stop God from providing? It's not. It's not going to stop God from providing at all. Actually, there's a way given in the Scriptures that is a way of weakness. The wilderness is a way of weakness. God gave us a way in the Scriptures to make money even if we couldn't work. 
He said, give, and it will be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall men give unto your bosom. It's the only method he gave. You know, we have a lot of Christian money counselors that are telling us all kinds of investment stuff, none of which is in the Bible, not any of it. But we do have one thing in the Bible that he did give us, and that is give and it will be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. You know, when we obey the Holy Spirit, I'm not talking about laws here. I'm talking about to, to him that soweth bountifully, he shall reap also bountifully. To him that sows sparingly, shall reap also sparingly. We cannot afford not to put ourselves in a position of weakness in order to give to what we feel the Holy Spirit is calling us to give to. We're not under, under the laws of the Old Testament, but we're under the law of the Spirit. And, and he, he is the one who determines how much, to whom, and where. He is. This series by David Eels will be continued on our next broadcast. Thank you for tuning in. For more information and materials, go to www.americaslastdays.com. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.